If they're working with a smaller man team as a fire rescue service in a, in a rural community, it's much more difficult to live under the NFPA guidelines with half-inch uh, ropes and uh, two- and three-inch pulleys and, and the main and belay approach to uh, technical rescue. Enchanted Sky Media. 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 From Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again for another edition of Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. You may be a TRT specialist in your department, or you might be a novice. But either way, you've probably realized that rope rescue gear has become very technical. And the PA 1983 is very specific about the details required to make ropes suitable for various tasks. And then there are other guidelines like NFPA 1670. With the bewildering number of choices out there, how do you pick the right rope material, or the right friction device, or even the right carabiner? Here to explain some of this is Dale Stewart. Dale owns AHS Rescue, a company that supplies rope equipment and training to the emergency services community. He's worked with Phoenix Fire as an instructor in their mutual aid program and is a consultant for rope and water rescue since 1987. And Dale Stewart joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Good morning. Dale, I think it's fair to say that you've forgotten more than most people will ever know about rope and rope gear. What are the biggest challenges fire departments face when it comes to rope rescue operations? Uh, you're very kind with your words. Uh, there's always something to learn about uh, the current technology that's being built in uh, to today's equipment. The NFPA has been servicing uh, the, the fire rescue industry for a long, long time in consideration of the uh, uh, 1983 NFPA 1983 standards for uh, rope technology and and uh, branding. And so with today's technology, things have changed considerably, where NFPA has always has been and will continue to be a, a good guiding light. It's come to everybody's attention that different fibers do different things as far as the uh, type of conditions and arenas that they are uh, exposed to. So in other words, there is no such thing as a one rope for all purposes. Well, it's for instance, uh, for fire rescue, generally it's a, a 13 millimeter rope half inch and it's got a 10% MBS for its overall stretch, which is considered static. Uh, if you're doing a, uh, a search and rescue team that does a lot of hauling and, and lifting, uh, and rather than having a nylon that has a, a certain specific stretch, you'd want to consider something more like a, a polyester, which has very little stretch comparatively. Now, what about wear? What rope materials wear best? Yeah, there's different fibers on the market. There's a number six uh, nylon fiber, and then there's a number six six. The 6-6 six, six is a more tenacious fiber. The good thing about polyester is that it tends to be more UV resistant. It doesn't absorb moisture. 
and it's uh, again, like I said, a much more tenacious fiber than is nylon. One of the downsides to nylon is that it absorbs UV. It breaks down a little bit more readily. It does absorb moisture, and it loses its strength over a, a time, uh, much more so than uh, polyester, which is a little bit more tenacious than is the nylon. Now, with those things in mind, how often should we be replacing rope? Well, that's kind of an open-ended question in the sense that if you use your rope weekly, monthly, or uh, quarterly, and what kind of use that you're having on it. If you're doing a lot of two-person rescue loads and you're exercising it every week, you may very well want to consider retiring that rope after a year, year and a half depending on how it uh, feels. All rope should be inspected prior to each use, and there's things specific that you look for. So then would you recommend that fire departments have separate rope for training exercises and then the same identical rope for rescue work? Uh, Certainly you can do that with larger agencies where they do a lot of technical training on a regular uh, basis, such as Phoenix, it's uh, almost uh, year-round. Then certainly you want to have an equipment catch that's for training and then leave your uh, other frontline equipment uh, intact where it is uh, more pristine. I'll be back with more right after this. Don't miss your chance to get your hands on the hottest logo wear around. Code 3 Podcast Gear makes you look good and tells the world you're a fan. Now you can wear the Code 3 logo proudly. Just go to our website, Code3Podcast.com. Click the banner and you'll be able to order an assortment of cool apparel and accessories. And thanks for supporting the podcast that supports firefighters. Now, what about hardware, carabiners and such? Is there a level of quality that we need to be reaching when we order this stuff? Mm, hardware. Um, carabiners are the, the thing that is in my, my forefront these days is whether or not it should be a screw lock or an auto lock. Some people call those auto locking carabiners type threes as widowmakers. I've not experienced that over the 40 years that I've been using a variety of different carabiners. I think that there comes a time when there's a a trade-off with understanding why a screw lock versus a key lock. The other misconceptions, too, is a little bit about the G-rated and the T-rated carabiners as far as the load uh, calculations that they uh, are applied to. You referred to a widowmaker, and I'm curious why you don't think it is, but other people do. Historically, here's where it comes up. You have to be much more of a competent technician with all of your equipment and understanding what a moonter hitch is, for instance, and applying the uh, the load in a descent or ascent in the belay position and which side the running rope is on. If the running rope is on the gate side, it has the ability or susceptibility to opening it up. Uh, again, if you become a, a much more confirmed technician and understand the little nuances that, that rope rescue has throughout its history, then you'll become a better technician and safer. But the other side of the coin is you can do the same thing with a screw lock carabiner that you can do an auto lock. The difference is, is once you unscrew the uh, screw lock, it's done. It doesn't screw back on. Whereas if you let pressure off the auto lock and gate, it automatically closes again. That's a, that's a, for example, that's an opinion, but certainly it's a, a valid one. What's changing in rope rescue and are fire departments adopting these changes? 
the fire service has been a little bit, in my view, stuck over the last 30 years as being very slow to, to adopt or change uh, techniques, which is a good thing. Uh, and over the years, we've learned things because of that that we wouldn't have learned otherwise. Now, with today's technology, with auto-ratcheting devices, uh, such as your MPDs, your IDs, your uh, crux, uh, clutch, your uh, a variety of different uh, equipment out there that does a far safer, far better job than does like what our tandem pressing police, for instance. What do know about rope rescue gear that you wish they all did know? As far as equipment is, in my view, from what I've seen, is that we know that uh, when we do a tandem pressing belay, uh, belays, uh, the inconsistency in the human factor weighs a lot into it. Whether you're doing a Z-turn or a bubble, it's a certain amount of slack that you uh, inject into the system on the belay uh, side of things. So one of the considerations that needs to be uh, made is the uh, human factor is the reaction time. Whereas when you put an MPD or an ID or another clutching device in its place, it catches it at much quicker uh, response and it eliminates the human factor. And now they've got a product called the ASAP lock that uh, has a shock absorber put in on the uh, uh, belay side of things and takes all that slack and that human factor out of the equation. So it's what become mistakes a safer do uh, fire tool. departments make when they buy rope rescue gear? Here's the reason why NFPA 1983 came about is because of that fatality in New York where it brought light on the fact that just any old rope or any old uh, hardware will do. Uh, those standards came about uh, out of necessity and has been uh, prescribed to ever since by all fire departments across the United States. And in large, that was a very good guiding light that uh, we've all been able to take advantage of. One of the upsides and downsides to the NFPA uh, standards is that it doesn't allow you to uh, get into more of a jurisdictional area such as AHJ agency having jurisdiction where if they're working with a smaller man team as a fire rescue service in a, in a rural community, it's much more difficult to live under the NFPA guidelines with half-inch uh, ropes and uh, two- and three-inch pulleys and and the main and belay approach to uh, technical rescue. This is where they need to have much more autonomy at what they do as an agency outside of large municipials that has uh, in-depth right, uh, resources. Stewart, thanks for joining me today on Code 3. Well, thanks, Scott, for letting me have a chance to uh, talk a, a little bit about uh, fire rescue, rope rescue, and, and some of the things that have uh, taken place and, and are about to take place for the changes in our future. Well, that was a deep dive. What did you think of what Dale had to say? You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash ropes. There's links to more information there as well, so check it out. And please don't forget that you can get exclusive bonus content just by making a monthly pledge. For 10 bucks a month, you can get access to the Code 3 Bull Session. It's extra material that we didn't use in a podcast. So if you get something out of Code 3, you can have the satisfaction of knowing you're keeping it going and getting some extra material. It's easy. Head over to Code3Podcast.com support to make your pledge today. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll be here too. 
I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.